Daily Hoadley Podcast Arenas. This week I've got an interview for you with Belfast-based music producer Phenomenology Music, aka Callum C. In it, we're talking about electronic music culture in the north, DJing during the pandemic, drinking in fields, stories of excessive consumption, growing up, and hopes for music and the future in a post-pandemic world. I know you're gonna enjoy this one. It's a lot of fun. Boom. I'm here with Phenomenological Music. What's going on, Callum? How are you doing tonight? Yeah, I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. How are you keeping? Appreciate it. The first question I wanted to know, actually, that I was interested in was, where did Phenomenological Music come from? So, uh, Phenomenology. What was so the inspiration? It's, so, it's um, in, in terms of, do you mean the name or just sort of the... the, the yeah, I mean, I know because I studied philosophy, so I would have studied Phenomenology and done a bit on it. I was wondering, you know, what was the connection and is it like a way that you see your music and DJing? Um... I mean, I, I suppose, I suppose in a way, it, it more, um, it's more just something I've kind of been interested in, sort of the, the actual, the philosophy of, of phenomenology, you know, um, yeah. I remember, um, I remember years ago when I was probably about, I don't know, about 19 or something, trying to read Hegel's uh, Phenomenology of Spirit, yeah. which is kind of yeah. incomprehensible, but, uh, yeah. or was yeah. to me at the time anyway, but uh, just that sort of some area of philosophy, something I've yeah. interested in. So whenever I was kind of thinking of a, of a new name to go by, because I, I mean, I used to go under the most uncreative name in the world, which was Callum C. When I was uh, when I started uh-huh. making music when I was fifteen, um, yeah. I made a lot of stuff under that name. Released a lot of stuff when I was younger, and I kind of I kind of stopped. Um, I guess when I started working full time and stuff around twenty sixteen, um, not not stopped, but you know, did, sort of wasn't engaged with it as much as I, as I had been previously. And then whenever I sort of did decide to get back into it, I sort of thought, you know. Um, Rather than continuing on with the same name I had before, which is you know going to have a lot, of, it's going to be, have a lot of music attached to it. I suppose that it doesn't really represent the kind of stuff I want to make now. Uh, and also um, because I've not been doing it for so so long, I thought you know best to come up with a new project. And yeah, just sort of the name phenomenology. I was like, someone's bound to have called themselves that by now. So done the usual, you know, searching beatport yeah. searching everywhere <laughs> has has any other artists. And the only things that were coming up were people had tracks that had the word phenomenology in it. And I was like, yeah. So it's a good man. It's a really, yeah, it's a cool name. Like I kind of, I I definitely read into it too much. I was like thinking (laughs) phenomenology that's like about experience and like the kind of, uh, the feeling of music or something, but that's obviously just bullshit. (laughs) No, well, I mean, you're, 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 you're kind of right. I mean, I suppose the stuff I've been making, uh, under this kind of alias has been more, a lot of it's been more sort of, um, a lot more ambient sort of emotional kind of music rather than just yeah. trying to make dance music, you know, for, for like yeah. the dance floor or for the sake of it. So yeah, mm-hmm. I suppose there, there is, there is some connection, I guess, between the, between the music and the name, whether or not I really intended that or not, to be honest. But yeah. That's works. a sick name, man. I, I really like it. Cheers, um, man, and with Callum C. So when you started out, you were releasing kind of dance tracks. Yeah. It was, Kind of like techno dance or um, trance kind of stuff? It, it wouldn't even have been techno. It would have been, so this is going back to, um, I think I started, when was it? 2010, I think I started. So initially I was uh, I was 15 at that time. I was a big fan of, uh, of Dead Mouse back then. So it was actually, it was listening to his stuff that kind of got me into production. Um, and then, you know, obviously started messing around, you know, trying to, trying yeah. to learn and stuff like that, as you do. Um, and then, do you remember sort of around 2012, Whenever um, sort of EDM became the big thing, where you had your likes of your Hardwells and all that, and they, they sort of um, yeah. it sort of mm-hmm. took off in America, and then that sort of you know 
I guess, electronic music in that kind of form became uh, became a lot bigger worldwide, a lot more mainstream as well. And at that time, um, I think I was kind of of the mindset because I was so young making music, I had all the time in the world. So I was kind of making stuff that was more, um, making stuff that was more sort of commercially friendly, I guess, more sort mm-hmm. of um, sort of down the line, sort of, you know, like, a, mm-hmm. like you know, progressive electro house kind of stuff you would hear on the radio and stuff like that. And then sort of as I got older, the stuff I was making became more the kind of stuff I, I actually enjoyed listening to and my music sort of taste changed. And I kind of, you know, came to the conclusion I would rather make music for me, you know, first and foremost, but also, you know, if I, if I can, if I can get an audience of, of even a few thousand people listen to tracks that I post up, I'm, I'm, I'm happy enough doing that, even if it never really comes mm-hmm. to any sort of financial, um, financial. Yeah. And was that something you thought about then when you were doing stuff with Callum C, if yeah. you're into like more commercial stuff, was it, you were thinking about it as like a career Ex- and kind exactly, of like. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had, had all the, had all the, all the fantasies when I was younger of all the millions I was going to mm-hmm. make and all this. Oh yeah. Stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that man. I feel like that's a, that's a real millennial thing. Yeah, it is. Gonna I be, think, uh, millionaires. by the time I was about, uh, by the time I was about 20 or so, I think I'd kind of, um, I was still trying to make stuff that could potentially sort of, um, be geared towards mm-hmm. a more mainstream audience but it was it was yeah. definitely if, if you ever listen to any of the sort of the more the, the, the older column C, or no, sorry the, the newer column C stuff towards 2016 it was definitely um it was definitely more i, I guess sort of stuff I, stuff i liked and not necessarily as as you know geared to sort of mainstream listening and then whenever i decided to get back into it i thought you know i'll just scrap it up an entire new mm-hmm. place and sort of start again yeah there was one track i saw that i was actually looking for but i couldn't find it, the column c thing with some lady dancing in it and oh, it was like yeah uh, what's the name of that track uh systematic that track was called systematic um, that looked so, like it was really big like it seemed like it yeah it was um it was released uh on a label at uh, demars records they were called so they're like they were a canadian label they were initially like a sort of like a dubstep label uh and the stuff i was making was sort of more trap sort of like electronic trap inspired so they were releasing stuff like that as well uh, that track actually did really well um it was i'm not sure if you're familiar with beatport but it's kind of like i suppose it would be like the itunes or whatever off of dance music mm-hmm. um you know that's kind of where that's kind of the charts in there for the various genres and stuff. It's sort of where you go to see sort of who's popular yeah. and stuff like that. That actually, that track was in, I believe, I think in the top 20 for the, uh, for the, for the sort of trap genre at the time. Uh, so someone made money out of that, but it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see any of that. No, Man, that's yeah. the thing with music. Like it's so hard to, I mean, the business model of it is very tricky. I feel like nowadays there's maybe more opportunity <laughs> Do you kind of look at it as like you're an independent artist? Yeah, and I know you do stuff on SoundCloud. Um, definitely, yeah, uh, definitely not. Yeah, it's it, it's 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 more a case of um, rather than trying to get it signed to, to like a label that, that might get it into like a, like a chart position on Beatport. I mean, obviously, if that happens, that's great. But now, yeah. nowadays, it's more of uh, trying to find uh, labels that will um, rather than worrying about sales, labels that will like you know get a lot of views on SoundCloud to, to sort of promote mm-hmm. the track or. Uh, yeah. There's a there's a YouTube channel, um, more more network that they they post quite a lot of my stuff. They have a label as well, and if I post there, it tends to get a few thousand views, which you know I'm yeah. I'm more happy with that than, than sort of yeah. seeing something in the beat for top 100. But um, you're you're definitely right about the the sort of trickiness of the business model. I think back then the way I sort of looked at it was the label with these kind of labels where you're kind of signing individual releases as opposed to signing a deal uh, like it's ongoing. Yeah. They do kind of always have it so that they make all the money and it's very, very uh-huh. difficult for you to challenge it. Uh, it'll have yeah. silly stipulations in it. Like you have to challenge this in a court in the country, the label, you know, um, okay. operates in like Canada. You'd have to go to Canada. To, <laughs> exactly. To, to argue over 20 quid they owe me or something or who knows. Yeah. Not worth it. That's yeah. kind of, yeah, that's something it's similar with writing. I suppose that 
the kind of and with any kind of with podcasts or video or like because of the changing technology you can kind of do it yourself all of the time a lot of the old gatekeepers that were there don't have the same maybe they just don't even have the same audience like a lot of kind of more mainstream stuff it seems like individuals are kind of building their own audiences definitely definitely um it's it's something i've noticed happen more and more as well i think when i first kind of started in like 2010 and i started looking at the i guess the business side of it maybe around 2012 when i felt i had something that was good enough to release that was kind of the period where it was changing from the old model to the new model so um obviously the, your instinct was to go for the old model i need to get this signed to a label i need to get this released yeah but for sure mm-hmm. you know sort of as time was going on you were seeing a lot more people were sort of self-releasing things uh, you, even you know you look at um, spotify a lot of artists self-release yeah. things as well uh and sort of trying to promote their sound clouds and other sort of you know, channels mm-hmm. and i guess it's a part of it as well a, a reason that i didn't i never really worried too much about you know whether i was really going to make money even if it did sell was the way i seen it was those sort of labels they sort of work they're, they're a business so they're they're trying to uh, release as much music as they can make as much money from the artists as they, as they can have as many people coming in producing as much stuff the way i always seen it was if i was to continue trying to pursue them sort of mainstream kind of route through labels like that was although they're they're going to make the money on the initial releases it's it's going to be my name that's going to you know it's going to um yeah. going to attract more views to, to me as opposed to the label because people care about mm-hmm. artists more than labels and then eventually if i kept doing that long enough i'd be in a position where you know i'd be able to you know make money either by signing to a bigger label start my own label something like that so yep. definitely or even playing i mean a lot of my friends um down in dublin like long island sound and one of the lads up here brian who i live with their dj group squig um a lot of my mates actually would be DJs in Dublin, but any of the ones that are making a living out of it, it's just playing live gigs. Yeah, as far sure. as that's, I can see, it's, that's it's just like for sure, yeah. clubs. And obviously, the last while they haven't been able to do that, so it's been like, yeah, no, uh, very, for, very like live live gigs, DJ and stuff's definitely where the money's at. Um, I remember what what I find a lot of the um, a lot of the bigger artists would do on on sites like Beatport and stuff, so that they constantly were had their name uh, sort of shown in the top 100 to keep their popularity. What they would do is when they release something, they would they would like have they would they would like get 200 people to buy a copy of their single just so that it would be in the top 100. But then that kind of that kind of the implication of that is you only really have to sell a few hundred copies to get into the top 100. You know, so yeah. it's it's not like if you see your track sitting there at number wherever I was at 24 or something like that next yeah. to Skrillex and stuff. And I was buzzing at the time. Like, well, I'm going to be rich. <laughs> yeah. It could mean I've sold 60 copies, you know? Um, so it's. Yeah. And then it just comes straight back down or it goes out, but it does seem like a process of kind of building up your reputation or yeah. building up your name and then being able to mark, but it's a tough life, man. I really, a lot of my mates who are DJs and stuff. I always felt like if you're working in nightlife all the time, like you're, you're so exposed to partying, it's late hours. Like it's, there's definitely a lot of downsides, I think, to the whole, um, to having to live on that, basically in the session all of the time. Yeah. Well, that was you. Oh, go ahead. ahead. I was going to say, I mean, whenever, when I was younger, um, and I was sort of, you know, hoping I was going to make it huge and, you know, have all this money and stuff. I used to always see the the videos of people I looked up to and all their sort of tour life and how they were all with session. And every day they're in a new country playing live gigs. I used to think that looked like the best life ever. See now, yeah. Um, 26 I look at it and I'm like nah I can <laughs> like man what time do you go to bed like yeah I, they used I to, I there was a there was a period where you'd see all these like big DJs and producers and they, they, they all speak yeah. posting about how turn was really affecting their mental health and all yeah. this here and I used to read them and be like oh no crime here ever you're living the dream now I look at it and I'm like you know what 100% if I was in Croatia one night and 
New York the next night and Las yeah. Vegas the next, and that's two hundred nights of the year. Yeah, yeah, it's a tough life, man. Really, and like, oh, who was it? Your man Avicii who died? Yeah, yeah, like he, liver failure. Or yeah, something. he, he really that, he, that could be. True. I, I think, I think, I think he committed suicide. Avicii actually, he, he, he oh, really, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he, but I, he did, he did have a, a, a drinking problem because of the stress of. Of what it was he was dealing with but yeah he um i remember actually reading that his family were saying he, he never really was cut out for that life he for him it was yeah. just about making tunes he was kind of the opposite he just wanted to make tunes and he ended yeah. up sort of inadvertently you know making a hit and becoming huge Get and they blown up to yeah man it's a definitely a very tricky um that level of fame and the expectation that comes along with it that you're kind of going to keep doing that but it will be interesting to see if the internet offers other avenues of doing it. I know a lot of DJs are on Twitch at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Doing sure. I was watching your man Akira the Dawn. Yeah. He does all those meaning wave things, but he was talking about how there's like on Twitch, you could watch like every DJ in the world basically will be there and just have their own audience on like weekends yeah. in these like different little digital rooms that they're all in. He's like, it's the weirdest thing. They're like, it's very strange to watch the live streams of, uh, of, of yeah. live gigs. Cause it's like a DJ in like a club kind of setting a lot of the time. And yeah. it's like, you know, the camera will pan around every so often to just an empty dance floor. And you're like, Whoa, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. where, where are all the people? Yeah, what's, what's going on? It's, it's eerie, you know, but it's, Man, I spent like my whole, for a guy who I'm not really that into like, I mean, I listened to some electronic music, but I was never like a huge buff with it. I was always more into like rap music or like psychedelic rock, but I've seen every single techno DJ, I think, who's ever existed (laughs) live in Dublin, like just because all my mates are into it. And it was such a like, it was just what you did every weekend. Yeah. Sometimes like Friday and Saturday, you were going to see a DJ somewhere in District 8. Yeah, I was like going to say District Twist 8. Twist of Pepper. <laughs> or, I mean, Twist of Pepper was like the, the big spot before it got closed down. Yeah, Dublin's, um, Dublin's a great spot for it as well. I had a, I had a friend mm. who lived there for a while. Um, yeah. and you know, I went through through a time where I'd be down there maybe every two or three weeks. Yeah, and yeah the the amount of DJs, the amount of DJs that that were kind of on my list because I I, I was yeah. really into techno at the time, and the amount of ones I wanted to see, and it was like ah, it'd be great to see this person. Then before you knew yeah. it, it was like oh, he's coming to Dublin in a month. He'll be in District Eight, and then you you ticked off like six or seven of the people you wanted to see without even knowing they were they were going to be playing. So Dublin's so definitely. outrageous for like such a small place. Yeah. And we were getting like I think the first guy, the first techno gig I ever went to was Delano Smith. Yeah in Twisted Pepper and he was unbelievable man he played this remix of uh, do you know Bobby Womack across 110th street I don't know across 110th street but uh, he did this remix of it and I literally looked for it for like six years (laughs) I still haven't found it on the internet anywhere my mate got a copy of it on vinyl but then just I've still not heard it to this it's day. Just, like, it's one of those. It's one of those ones that's like, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's just a real. That, that's the thing you don't get so much nowadays as well. A rare record, you know, because everything's kind of digital now. But you do, you get the, you get the odd one. I know. Uh, I don't know if you've ever listened to Burial, um, but Burial, Burial and Fortet, they they have an EP. Oh yeah, uh, no where they have um, a couple of tracks with Tom York from Radiohead, and they're yeah. legendary tracks, but they're only mm-hmm. they were only ever really available as vinyl. So you can get rips of them on YouTube, which they sound all right, but they, they're not the original quality. And I think they only ever produced something like 200 copies of it. So it's like they're, okay. they're worth thousands, you know? Yeah, man. And they're missing. Do you prefer yourself doing kind of, do you ever play live gigs or would you be more on the producing side? More more on the producing side. Um, I've yeah. kind of, I've always kind of toyed with the idea of doing live gigs. Um, but it's, to be honest, it's, it's something that's never really interested me. Um, you know, standing just sort of, you know, syncing tracks together and things like that. I think if I was going to start doing live gigs, 
I, I don't think I would do DJ and I think I would look to do something that's a bit, a, I don't know, a, a bit more like, a, I guess, performative just in, in sort of mixing yeah. tracks together. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's, a, there's a lot of people out there doing things, you know, you'll, you'll various MIDI controllers and you'll sort of split up. Obviously, you can't produce live, which you know, would just be boring for anyone to watch, but you can um, you can sort of splice out different bits off your track and sort of have, have like a launch pad or something sort of. Um, sort of yeah, I'm just thinking bits. of a chaos pad. You ever see one yeah. of those where you can kind of like make beats live yeah. and loop them and whatnot? Like your man, yeah. did you ever see Mark Ribelet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that yeah, kind was, of. A, if I was going to do live, I definitely, definitely would, would be down that road. But it's not. It's, it's for me. It's for me. It's just all about production. To be honest, it's just. Yeah. And one of the things, one of the things I do at this point, I think, just to keep saying, especially during COVID. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Like, there's. It's a hard time for doing it as well, though, with creative stuff, because it is quite, like, insular, I suppose. It's harder to share it with people when you True. don't have that, like, face-to-face see, interaction as much. See, for me, I have to be, to be honest, like, COVID is as bad as it is in general. Uh, it's for, In terms of uh, for creativity, it's actually been it's actually been good for me in that regard. Cause oh, it, yeah? It wasn't, yeah, because, I mean, I was saying before, I kind of stopped in 2016 when I started working full-time, and I would do bits here and there, but I didn't release anything. And then, I think it was about 2018, um, I decided... I'm going to get back into it. And I, I made techno for a while, which as much as I enjoy going to techno gigs, you know, they're great crack. Uh, it's not very fun to produce because it's very repetitive, just, you know, noises and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. Not very melodic or anything a lot of the time. And I kind of done that for a while, but again, it would be, you know, I'd maybe sit for an hour a week and I'd get bored and I'd be like, nah, I, it almost seemed like I was going to give up making music. But then mm-hmm. uh, whenever COVID happened uh, and I find myself sitting in a lot more often than I would have been before, um, I was like, well, you know, a lot of people are having a lot of issues, you know, people, mental health sort of going off the wall. People are, people are, you know, getting into all sorts, you know, alcoholism, drugs, all that kind of thing to sort of stay mm-hmm. sane in the house. And it was like, well, sure. you don't want to end up going down that road. So, you know, just get back into the music. And I kind of just sort of formulated one day, I've got a new name, new sound, sort of more in keeping the stuff I'm listening to. And yeah, to be honest, it's, it's, it's not, if I get stressed out or bored, which I get bored really easily, but I can sit and produce for 12 hours without getting up other than to go to the toilet, maybe here and there, or go to get a drink of water or something like that, go for a smoke. And yeah. apart from that, I can basically sit there for 12 hours. So it's a, it's a good way to, it's a good way to pass the time. You know, while we're all kind of, yeah it's it's good when you get like you get addicted to something like that again especially (laughs) something positive rather than drinking pints and causing trouble um, that's yeah a lot of people have said that about the pandemic to me i've talked to different people about it and there's always kind of that double-edged sword where it's like people have lost a lot but they've also quite they've found things that they actually value a lot more that's it people People, I guess, I guess, sort of being forced to, to spend more time with themselves. People are kind of reconnecting with maybe, you know, things, uh, you know, things about themselves that they've maybe not been mm-hmm. so connected with, you know, when they've when they've been mm-hmm. sort of getting older and socializing and always in the office and stuff like that. So it's kind of, it's, it's it's had its positives. Although I am I'm very much looking forward to the end, <laughs> so we can so we can exactly, talk about man. <laughs> was, yeah, I wouldn't was... uh, I wouldn't have this by choice. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. Um, and Belfast opening back up. I mean, are you going to go to AVA Festival in September? Yeah, I uh, I seen uh, the other day that they um. I, I, I seen that the tickets are running low, uh, which I wasn't expecting because they've only went on sale very. They only announced, you know, that it's going to be in September. So uh, I think when I get paid here, uh, starting next week, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a ticket for it. But I, I have been kind of messaging around the kind of people I would usually either see at it or people I would go to with it on previous years, just to see who's going. And everyone's kind of been like, oh, I don't know. Um, so. Part of me is a bit hesitant to buy a ticket in case in case no one in case it goes going. and then you can't sell it on. Yeah, I was at the last one in 
or maybe it wasn't the last one. Maybe it was 2020 or 2019. 2019, yeah, that would have been the last one. Last, last year's cancelled, yeah. But I was sober. Was I was sober because I had a fight coming up, so I wasn't oh. drinking at it. And it was like the weirdest thing I've ever... I was, like, <laughs> trying, I was like at the boiler room, kind of like on camera, trying to rave, but just like drinking a water. And I was like... I was, right. uh, I was not I so about. sober. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't think anybody else was either, to be well, fair. That, but, funny um, enough, there was, there was one guy I was there with, um, a friend of mine I know through friend marcus he he was there he was actually sober uh yeah. the entire time but i think he, he just loves techno and just loves raves yeah. that much that he, he i mean I, I i love them as well but i definitely have to be have to be you know session when i'm there I, I think he just loves it so much he can go sober and just have as good a time as anyone else there's actually a if you watch the uh the um i think it's day one boiler room uh you, the, the girl played in hey she's called uh yeah. I, i'm on the camera at the very end on his shoulders just kind of sort of shaking hands with people in the crowd sort of just looking around <laughs> yeah. me <laughs> man you can't do that anymore you can't be on oh, some that's... lad's shoulders or shaking hands no, 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 um, no I wonder how that's going to work though. is there going to be any sort of social distancing even attempted AVA this year socially just... distanced raves maybe? yeah I mean that's 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 a bit mad everyone's sort of in the week oh man I saw that actually it was like it was a concert or something. I think it was in America, but like everybody was just sitting down on a chair and it was like a heavy metal concert. And it was just the weirdest looking thing you've ever seen. Like everybody just kind of on their own little stool in the crowd. You're like, ah, yeah, that's, that's, know about that. that's a big room. Like that's, that's kind of like, yeah. that's kind of like the whole, like, you know, DJs uh, playing the empty cries kind of thing. It's just, a, I don't know. It just seems a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what I really miss about it, like I always, festivals like that and so like when i lived in berlin i would have gone to a lot of gigs like day kind of gigs that yeah. you'd have in like ipsa or like club division air and stuff like that and i just loved the buzz of like you know being outside dancing good music hanging out with people it was like it's something that you really i, I really miss i think from yeah. everything that's gone on that kind of atmosphere is like yeah no it's, it doesn't it's not anywhere else like it's it hard it's really, hard to be there, there there's there's few things in life that are uh that were kind of as, uh, as stress relieving, I guess, as fulfilling than just sort of jumping around a dark room with a bunch of random people just showing <laughs> yeah. you random people, you. you know, it's, it's, it's great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not the same on the internet. No, at all. definitely not. And it, the dance scene in Belfast, like I haven't really been to any actual club nights in Belfast right? do you go to like DSNT yeah yeah those uh, kind of gigs we'll, we'll need to get you out to one when it's back then if you've, if you've been missing Savage. that event the, uh, the DSNT they're, they're probably I'd say they're probably my favourite events in Belfast to be honest the Shine yeah. events are good uh, yeah. obviously uh, for their own reasons they get really big names yeah. and things like that um, so sometimes the Shine will come along as someone you've, you've been dying to see like I've seen um, Sasha and John Digweed back to back at Shine it was one of the best nights nice. um, whereas the DSNT ones it's a lot more local guys and stuff like that unless it's sort of one of their like New Year's events they'll maybe get someone like I think it's in Paula Temple one time that was that was class but even though it's sort of it's lower lower scale um, and sort of more local guys it's if you're into like real hard acid techno and you know acid house and stuff like that sort of industrial you know mm-hmm. kind of stuff uh, the DSNT nights are, are definitely the like it's great, great there seems to be a real scene in Belfast with like I went to one gig actually in the art department where my mates Long Island Sound were playing and they were with do you know the guys from Ireland uh, Bick and yeah, yeah. Ross and the guys um, it was one of their gigs that they were playing at um, but it seems to be I don't know there's an interesting thing about Belfast obviously coming from Dublin it's quite main, almost mainstream now really but there's kind of a Belfast kind of has like a techno counterculture kind of yeah, thing going on. I sure. think it's quite, it's underground. It is. Um, yeah, definitely. 
Yeah. And did you find that like when you're in it, it's kind of like a subculture really? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. Definitely. It's kind of, and everyone sort of knows each other as well. Um, you know, if, if, if once you've sort of, uh, if you, if you get in with a couple of people sort of in, in that kind of scene, I, I don't know if you've ever, have you ever been in any of the, uh, I suppose if you've not been raving in Belfast, you wouldn't have been, but there's a, there's, there's quite a lot of illegal raves happening in Belfast as well. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, I was meant to go to one actually on Boucher Road, I think, or was something, it, um, but was it one I of the, uh, it would have been dreadfully hung over. <laughs> so, couldn't it would have been it. one of the Anatech ones, was it? It's like a, they're, they're class, man. They're uh, I, I was yeah. actually at one. Yeah, yeah, I've been to a few of them. There was one in uh, Beaver Forest I went to. Um, yeah. Oh wow. Nice. We we thought it wasn't going to take place, um, which was funny because I actually had a lot of mates up uh, from the North Coast who were who were basically up for that, and they had, I was living with my mom at the time, so I didn't even have anywhere they mm-hmm. could stay. I was like, yeah. we'll, we'll just stay out all night. You just get a train in the morning was kind of the plan. So they came yeah. up, and we're sitting there about eleven o'clock when they said they were going to announce it on their Facebook page, and. Uh, they didn't post anything for like 10 minutes and then everyone no. was like, oh, I think the police have, have stopped this one. And then they posted being like, no, the police have showed up, but they've said as long as things don't get to our hand, we'll let the rave go ahead, which just seemed mad because it's, you know, it's, it's a raves. massive illegal rave. <laughs> but this one, I was like, well, there's going to be two, 300 people there. Mate, when I got there, there was about 800 people just, and this was quite early as well. It was about half 11. It was only half an hour into it. People going absolutely nuts you know pe- people on people on the ground who definitely probably needed medical attention i, I just <laughs> yeah. sort of got there and i was like good to see it hasn't got out of hand too early then <laughs> just getting getting danced on there's not that much of that i mean in dublin there wasn't really that many illegal there was like kind of like after parties where yeah. you'd have in yeah, like glass and heaven yeah. and stuff like that where you'd go you'd pay like 20 quid to get a bus after a nightclub to go to like the dodgiest place <laughs> to like clundalk and or bluebell or something and you'd be like sitting in the corner like i'm gonna get stabbed any minute now <laughs> this is so dodgy yeah. but um you kind of miss yeah I, I definitely miss the buzz of the whole thing like of actually going out and you know socializing and whatnot but in belfast is it like obviously you have the whole sectarianism and everything going on yeah. but it seems like the music culture is like a separate thing to that is oh it kind yeah of a- for sure I, I i don't think i've uh, I, I don't think i've ever heard a single sectarian mark you know a remark sorry at any of those kind of events yeah. um definitely not any of the sort of underground sort of illegal ones anyway which is for belfast that's kind of saying something because usually when you have several hundred people in belfast in a place together someone's <laughs> gonna someone's gonna say something you know <laughs> that's what i'm thinking like there's kind of a you know it with such um, antagonism in some spots you would expect that that would be a thing yeah but, but i think it's, it seems they, that they type of music it, yeah they, they crowd it attracts there i think everyone everyone's just so signed with each other everyone's just kind of there yeah. for, for the sash and the music you know yeah. and it's kind of as you were yeah. saying because it's such a subculture everyone's kind of mm. everyone kind of knows the crack how, how, how yeah. to behave with these kind of things i think if anyone ever did start coming out with any sectarian stuff at one of those kind of events i don't think it would be long before just wouldn't be the balls kindly asked to leave <laughs> yeah not so kindly yeah, asked to sure. leave. <laughs> that was always the interesting thing i found like particularly in berlin and stuff and also in dublin as well was the variety of people that you got yeah. to electronic music things it was always a real um mixture of different backgrounds and even different ages and kind of like people that were all there for the same thing which was yeah. always for the music for sure um, and to be honest to be honest it was probably if anything it was i mean obviously i was in the electronic music you know when i was younger when i was producing more sort of EDM kind of hardwelly kind of stuff, um, but for sure, uh, I think I think when my kind of music taste changed, would have, would actually probably been around 2016 as well, which is ironic was the time I kind of stopped. But that might be partly why I stopped as well because my, my my taste changed. It was uh, the first ABA I went to was ABA 2016. 
Uh, and it was a few mates of mine uh, from from Port Rush actually were going to it. And I hadn't seen them since Tech. So they were um, they were like, you coming to this festival? I was only 20 quid a ticket back then as well, which is <laughs> goes to show how much times have changed. And yeah. uh, they were like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to this ABA festival, um, mm-hmm. techno and house and all that kind of stuff, which wasn't really the kind of scene I was into at the time, but obviously I wanted to go anyway to see them. And whenever I went to it, I realized, like, you know, I kind of got a taste of what the scene, you know, the, the, the sort of more underground scene is like in comparison to the more sort of like sort of club scene and or sort of more mainstream kind of club scene anyway. And uh, yeah, I, I think I think from that point onwards, I was kind of like, I was just mad into techno for, for, for the longest yeah, time. I think the that's funny. I'm so much into it now is because I haven't been able to, to go to anything really techno related. I'm sure once the once everyone reopens again, I'll be yeah. I'll be right back into it as much as I was, hopefully. Anyway. Yeah, because I, I would have been, I suppose when we first started going out to nightclubs and stuff, probably like 18, kind of 19, it would have been going to maybe more, some mainstream ones, but I always hated them. I was always like, you'd find yourself on the dance floor and there'd be like Shakira playing or Beyonce or something. Yeah. You're like, it felt like a kid's birthday party or something. <laughs> I just always wanted to kind of just leg it. Yeah. Um, whereas techno gigs, even though I'm not a fan of electronic music, it was always very different vibe, I thought. Maybe it's because there's a DJ there and it's kind it of It is, more... but even even when there is a DJ there, when it's kind of a more kind of like, a, I guess, EDM-y rather than techno kind yeah. of thing, it's people are there because they people are there solely for the night out you know like uh, yeah. whoever happens to be playing or whatever kind of music happens to be playing is just kind of yeah circumstantial like and it is what it is it could be probably anything playing people are just there to, to get drunk have a good time which is fine but uh whenever you go to sort of a more techno oriented thing where generally speaking nine times out of ten there's going to be someone who's playing who's known for you know for, for their music whether they're local or or more international and i think the kind of the kind of the kind of crowd that attra- attracts generally will be more music fans you know people like, mm-hmm. if, you know if, you, if you're paying money to go see someone like macy oplex or something like that which first person i've actually seen in dublin great night um if you're paying money to go see someone like that um or rebecca or something like that generally chances are you're, you're, you're probably a fan uh, of that person or if not you're a fan of the music anyway and you're going along yeah with the people who are fans so it's definitely people are definitely there to, to engage with the music more and to actually dance um than yeah it's like sake. somewhere in between like an actually going to see a band and like a just a music kind of that's, club it's that's it it's like a night out and a gig sort of all, all in one it's, it's great yeah yeah sick and if i was going out in belfast like what places would you recommend should i be in thompson's will i be uh wouldn't, get, wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't recommend going to thompson's no when i get the bookie out i'm on the, the dance floor the last time i was in thompson's <laughs> actually uh, funny story I, I used to go a bit when i was younger when yeah. i was like 20 22 23 and even then i was probably too old to be going to thompson's to be honest but uh it would have been a year and a half ago my ex at the time uh, one of her friends was actually playing in thompson's and like yeah. i just had such memories of thompson's just not being just i don't know it's i guess if you're younger and you don't mind being somewhere that smells like vomit and you're sticking to the floor it's, it's the spot for you but i just i just knew i didn't i didn't want to go but i agreed to go anyway because her mate was playing and uh do you know those days where you, you just know you're gonna have a bad night out to begin with like you're you're anticipating a bad night yeah. and uh so i started get i made the mistake of trying i starting to get really really drunk early on like you know sort of pre-session like hours before we went just out. to try and fix it exactly and she wasn't yeah. even really drinking i think she maybe had like a couple 
Copper Burger, something like that at the time. And I'd already had a bottle of Buckfast, which I necked, and I was oh. five dragon soup just to just in anticipation <laughs> of going out. And when I got there, I was so annoyed to be there that I ended up like just necking, just downing them on the spot, double vodka, Red Bulls, just to try. No. And she ended up uh, sitting down on the dance floor within half an hour of being there, apparently crying. I don't remember crying, but I wasn't happy. And she had to, she had to take me into a taxi, and I went home and just you know just. It's on. one way, one way of escaping the nightclub, <laughs> getting paralytic drunk yeah, yeah. and then but, uh, being carried out. <laughs> if, if you are looking for a good spot, I mean, you said art department, that's definitely one I'd recommend for you. If you're yeah, that place is really cool. Uh, uh, they do some good nights, especially when they've done that. There was a night in institute, I think it was the Saturday. I think they've done away with that. Um, but uh, as well as that, um, the, the sort of DSMT nights, I suppose they're they're good anywhere. So it depends on what venue they're using. Uh, often they'll use the Palm House. You know, it used to be a stiff kitten to be foundry it's always changing in that place i think it's i think it's the palm house at the moment once there's ends it'll probably be something new but that that spot anyway um mm-hmm. down there dublin road it's it's a good spot um for for most nights they put on uh dsmt and there's always been great uh they also do dsmt nights the sort of bigger ones if it's like new year's boxing night something like that uh do you know t13 where they they had aba the last few years um, so is that the old the B and Q? That, that's the one, yeah. So it won't be the full place opened up the way obviously it is an ABA when there's yeah. thousands of people there, but it'll be like the uh, like a couple of the sort of indoor stages will be open. Sick. Um, and yeah, those those events were. That was so funny, man. I got in because I snuck in because my mates were playing at it, so they gave me a, a VIP band. Yeah. So we were in uh, the VIP area that was in B and Q Garden Center. It's just like it's it's exactly like the actual garden center. Oh, the, the garden center. That, that's the, yeah, that's the bother room bit, isn't it? Yeah, or or my yeah, yeah. yeah the, that's it is a bit mad looking around. You've just got all these sort of like it's like, trippy, man. It's, it's during the during the day and sober <laughs> as well. I was like, am I just in B and Q garden center? <laughs> what, what is this? <laughs> and uh, you said something a few a few minutes ago there. What is dragon soup? Dragon soup. Uh, I see. To be honest, it's it, it's not even a drink I would I would ever drink. It well, it was kind of yeah. like, it was uncharacteristic on me to drink it that night. Uh, I think I just wanted anything that was highly caffeinated uh, that wasn't just more buckfast because I'd have been sick. But uh, oh. but it was uh, dragon soup. So it's like it's kind of the worst of both worlds. So it's like do you know when you have your monster energies, your relentless, and all those drinks that are just cancer yeah. for you. Yeah. So yeah. it's like that mixed with like a lot of vodka so they're like eight nine percent a can and they oh, look like Lord. cans of energy drink as well yeah. and they're, they taste like energy drinks you know even more sweet i'd say than monster yeah. which is I don't think how sweet that is and just for the taste of you know like five shots of vodka poured into it so <laughs> i thought they were like energy because well, i saw i saw a lot of 15 year olds and eats belfast drinking them the other week well that's what i was going to say it's kind of it's kind of <laughs> the new drink i think of the, of the younger sort of uh, underage drinking ah well it's but, good uh, it's good they're being nourished anyway <laughs> I that, think, all of that <laughs> i think i went in i grabbed a bottle of buck fast and i was like right one ball is not gonna be enough i was like i won't grab two balls that that's just asking to get too uh, drunk before i went out and i seen dragon soup i think was on special like two cans for yeah. 250 or something i was like i'll buy four of them which which probably amounts to more alcohol than the bottle of Buckfast anyway, or the same. <laughs> yeah, I'd say your heart rate was like 400 beats per minute. And then obviously the, the double vodka Red Bulls in there didn't help. So yeah, that was it. Yeah, and I'm glad I've I've been off the drink for a while now for doing this six months off again. And thankfully, I, I, I've forgotten what it's like to be so crippled. Yeah, I'm off. I'm trying to stay off recently as much as I can but, as well. It's it's see when you see when you are off the drink as well for a while and you haven't been going out session damaging yourself, you you appreciate how more clear headed you are. And it's not to say I haven't been sessioning a bit 
obviously have, but yeah. compared to what I was like before, where I'd be every weekend, I'd be I'd be like right Friday after work, drunk, you know, sorry. Yeah, it makes me morning. way more intolerant of hangovers. Yeah, as well. like when I wake up, I'm hungover. I'm like, oh no, I'm like, why have I? They get so, so much ang- worse when you get older about... as well. Um, I used to, <laughs> yeah. I used to not believe that whenever people said, you know, like <laughs> I used to drink pretty straight, and yeah, my mate, my mate Steve would always be like, oh, how do you not get hangovers? This is unfair. And now people used to be like, you won't be like that forever. You know, after sort of 24, 25, it starts getting worse. And I always thought that was just an excuse people made when they got older to excuse why they were so Just born. to slack off and yeah. not have to be on the session. But yeah. now if I, yeah, if I, if I get drunk, it's, uh, I, I need to make sure that I have nothing planned at all the next day. That isn't <laughs> like, just feeling sorry for myself lying down. And man, maybe I, the I, next day as well, you know. I need like an oxygen tank, <laughs> like fucking Domino's pizza just in an IV. Phone call to Samaritans. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to help. I need <laughs> emergency call. Yeah, it's, man, it's pretty grim. But yeah. do you think in in the north, I mean, we would have started drinking at like session, I suppose we were probably like maybe like 15, 16, maybe. I mean, I had See, my first bottle of Buckfast when I was 12. So Okay. All right. Now we're getting into the good stuff. <laughs> How did that happen? Uh, basically, uh, when, when I was when I was younger, uh, I lived up in the North Coast, and we all kind of, we, we'd all kind of, in first year, we'd all kind of go out and just sort of hang around you know, the town on a Friday night. And we used to, we used to go to this uh, youth club, Cheers, it was called, and we genuinely did go there for a while. But then that became the excuse we gave to our parents. Oh, I was just at Cheers um which i think what happened was one week i think i, I wasn't out for whatever reason i think i, I think i might actually be home visiting family or something in scotland i came back yeah. uh, i went to go up the town as usual that weekend i think I maybe end of first year start fourth or start of second year maybe probably end of first year that's what i mean and I, I, just that weekend all my mates were, were now just binge drinking they all had balls and frosty <laughs> jacks and you know strongbow and buckfast it was just came out of nowhere yeah Everybody it was just kind of it was just kind of like not forced upon me, but just kind of, this is what we're doing. And it was like, all right, so a couple older ones that could get served, or maybe like 15, 16, we're going to the off license, what do you want? I didn't really know what to say. I just had a little change on me. And I was like, uh, they're like, well, the fast to do them, surely. And I was like, all right, get me a bottle. In fact, I tell a lie. First, <laughs> I'm my, just imagining you as a child just I getting tell a this lie. bottle of it. My first binge drinking session, I think, actually was, do you remember Vodka? So it was like cheap vodka that was only like 20, I say only when you're 12, but uh, 20, 25%, something like that. I was like, get me like a, like a 5G, a half bottle of that. And your, the guy came back and he, uh, he was like, they didn't have any half balls, so I got you two quarter balls. And I ended up giving one of them away, actually, but I drank one of them straight because all the money I had went on that, so I had no mixer. Yeah. And I ended up in seriously bad shape. And I think I got buck yeah. fast the next week because I didn't want vodka. And that just kind of became my drink of choice from that point. But yeah, we used yeah. to every Friday night from about 12 to I think until I was about 15 or so, got into, got into a relationship and kind of stopped going out as much. But yeah, those years, it was just, that was, that was the done thing. <laughs> yeah, I think I remember once when we were 12, uh, I was hanging out in this other state kind of uh, with some people that I would have kind of been mates with, but they stole a bunch of cans and like had... <laughs> I think it was like a bottle of Tipperary Kids water, but it was filled with vodka. <laughs> okay. And I drank that. I drank the vodka and then I was like nearly sick. And then I tried tried to drink a can. And then I was just like, ah, fuck this. Like, so I, <laughs> I was just like, did. So then it didn't actually do it then until I was a bit older and we were kind of like hanging out in parks and stuff. And you'd yeah, have like yeah. four cans and get sick on yourself and. Did you ever? Uh, did you ever drink the uh, like the 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 um the super or was it the, the tenants super super lager and the uh, Carls, Carlsberg special brew? I remember uh, 
This oh, one, like the ones yeah. that are really like eight percent, nine percent. But you yeah. think it's just a can? You have like four of them, and that's basically like having a can of straight vodka when you add it up. You know? Yeah, they were <laughs> like the equivalent of like three beers, but yeah, probably more. And <laughs> um, we used to have those Bavaria ones. They were Bavaria super beer. Oh, place. Bavaria, yeah, yeah. Bavaria is actually a good beer. I've never tried the super strength one, but the, the beer itself, I actually don't mind the, the normal. It one. just shows the attitude though, where you're just like, I'm getting as obliterated <laughs> as efficiently as possible. <laughs> you're like. I need three of these. That'll do. I think but Frosty Frosty Jacks was definitely the worst one for that. I don't know. Did you Did you just get Frosty Jacks? We don't have Frosty Jacks. No, no that's, that's uh, you've you've probably never drank it there because uh, I guess no one drinks that after the age of. 12, is it just 14. like flagons of cider? Basically, it's or? like um, what White Lightning? Did you ever have White Lightning? Um, it's mm, basically white cider. Had, like, it's so it's yeah. like you know why you've got your cheap ciders like your strongbows and stuff like that and they're maybe about like five percent or whatever which is you know stronger than beer but it's not super strong but by the time you drink two liters of it you know you're fucked but uh so the white ciders you would get which were like your white line and your, your frosty jacks the only two i can think of really i think they might be the only two yeah. that existed but um <laughs> yeah. they, they were even cheaper again despite being yeah. stronger so a bottle of frosty jacks was man, it was about seven or eight percent and you get a th- not a two liter bottle, a three liter bottle, big giant plastic uh, blue bottle of it, and it was made. <laughs> I'm not shitting you here. It was two pounds fifty back then. So that two was two pounds fifty. Yeah. So if I came out and we, I didn't have the six pounds when I was fourteen or whatever for a bottle of Buckfast, <laughs> and I had three or four pound in my name, it would be a bottle of Frosty Jacks, and I don't think I ever got yeah. to the bottom of one of them. And I used to just go home <laughs> stinking a stinking a vomit every Friday night. And uh, I, I thought I got away with it because my parents never mm. said anything. But, you know, talking yeah. to them in more recent years, they'd be like, oh, we, we knew you were getting finished. I mean, you come in. That yeah, my, my dad told me that as well because he was always very like, you shouldn't be drinking. And he was very powerful. But I'd like get in the car half steamed and apparently he was pretending that he didn't notice well that was it i mean i I don't know how i ever (laughs) thought i'd get away with it because i I thought i was getting away with it because i would i mean when you're drinking that amount of that kind of stuff i mean it's it's not even the amount of alcohol or or the liquid you're drinking which is obviously part of it but as well as that it's just whatever chemicals they put in that white cider because it's not made with real apples or pears you know the way real cider is it's made with chemicals (laughs) so you're you get violently i mean like every friday would end with me someone dragging me into a bush somewhere send me down you'll be all right you'll be all right i'll be like just getting just being deposited oh, in the bush. all over myself vomit and then just sort of coming in home like that and not thinking i wonder if wonder if my parents noticed wonder how I much i stank you know? man i remember once i came home and i was so drunk that i was lying in bed and i got the spinnies and <laughs> i got sick but then i was so drunk i i just took my sheets off and threw them out the window um and i didn't didn't notice like and i just woke up the next day in bits and was like where are all my bed sheets gone what happened and then uh my dad just walks into my room and is like, yeah, why are these sheets in the front garden? I was like, uh, <laughs> I obviously had a plan. At some point, but. I think I can, uh, I can actually remember the first time I ever, I ever got caught drinking to the point where my parents said something to me. It was, um, mm-hmm. so there was these, when we were younger, there was all these, uh, there was all these like alcoholics who used to drink behind a little in the town I lived in, Balmoney. And uh, they used to, we'd get them to go into the office as far as and stuff like that because I didn't care. And uh, I think I was maybe about 15 or so at this time. And uh, my mate actually went in and he stole a bottle of vodka out of the middle and uh, like, like, like a liter bottle of vodka. And uh, we went around to like where they would all drink at. Like, and uh, we didn't have any mixer for it apart from they had black currant. Now, I don't mean like mixed, like, like, like black currant. Buy drink, you? As in, like, yeah, so like, like, like oh, it wasn't able to be like Tesco's, like, own brand, um, oh, like Cordial, but it was unmixed. Juice. Yeah, but it wasn't even mixed either. <laughs> and I remember sitting there being like, because the guy gave me the bottle because he was going back to his house, where I'm like, here, you can take that, I stole it anyway. I was like, right, mm-hmm. cool. And uh, I had a cup. 
and I was like, right, I need someone to mix it with. I can't drink this straight. And I think one of the one of the alcoholics turned on to me. He was like, well, here, just mix it with that. And I was like, yeah, but I've, like I can't just mix it with that like cordially. He's like, yeah, just just instead of pouring water into it, just pour pour a bit of that in as you would. But then add the vodka instead of the water. And in my head, I was like, that doesn't seem right. Like that's not going to taste good. But like I was just like so young, I'd done it anyway, and I drank a full cup of that. And then the guy came back out and he went into the shop near my house and he just kept going in and stealing bottles of Buckfast and coming out with them and just giving them to me and my mate like across the road. We were just waiting for him. He'd just come over with like two bottles in his hand. And uh, I, would, I would down half of one of them, give it to my mate. And then he'd go in, get another one. And I think I got through like like half of three of them and he was still sort of sitting drinking halfway through the second one. And I'd had that vodka. And I have no memory apart from that, other than me and my mate apparently were fighting that night. And my, I was on the phone to my dad crying apparently. And he just came and found me in the park and I was just crying. Man, I, I feel like God knows why. After that amount of drink, like fighting and crying is probably the only <laughs> two things that you can actually do. Especially it's when you're that like, age as well. Just crying oh, in general, man. not even yeah. for any reason. Crying outside of a nightclub fucking <laughs> on the street, being found in some, somebody's arms in the middle of the road. <laughs> um, yeah, it was pretty wild, man. I really, I don't, I don't know if young people drink as much maybe as we do. Maybe in the North, it seems like young people in the South, not as much, but. I think people in the North kind of, I think there's, there's like a kind of, there's a, there's a sort of mix of, mix of cultures in the North. So obviously you've, yeah. you know, you've obviously got your right, Irish culture because Ireland, but as well as that, I think some of the kind of like the, the binge drinking sort of UK or specifically yeah. the, the, the Scottish, like the Glaswegian kind of binge yeah. drinking sort of binge in general culture they have over there. Yeah. I think a lot of that's kind of seeped into the, into the sort of cultural, uh, the culture of, of young people, you know, over here as well. Because um, sort of going back and forth from that area of Scotland, having friends over there when I was younger, there was definitely a lot of similarities between my friend group here and the yeah. people over there. So I think mm-hmm. kind of the, the binge culture of theirs kind of probably contributed to why it's, it's worse, I guess, in the north than people evidently drink younger, <laughs> like 11, 12. <laughs> it's so funny. I, I saw one of those posters. Do you ever see those at like bus stops and stuff where it's like, your vision and then it's like the kids in the playground and then it's like their reality and they're just drinking a bottle of book fast <laughs> like in a park yeah um, they don't have that down south no really at all no it's not not as much of a thing yeah. um but yeah i mean i learned a lot from it to be honest i mean it was pretty dumb but That's... i definitely it's a good way to learn how to deal with people how to socialize it definitely is... what what not to do it is <laughs> it's a good time to make a lot of your mistakes as well when there's a lot less repercussions for your mistakes you know because you get yourself in a lot of trouble not even just session aside just some of the stupid things you do when you're younger yeah you just well get i mean there is there's less internet and stuff as well. I mean, well, there was one time I went to a kid's disco when I was 16 or like an underage disco and I got in a bunch of fights and I ended up in the newspaper the next day. So that's still <laughs> on the internet. If you want to look that up. Um, so that was, after this. That was, yeah, that was like, like trying to be low key. It's like, oh, don't get caught drinking. And then like literally in the newspaper, I'm like, ah, damn it. <laughs> my dad, to be fair, my dad was kind of like, okay, that's kind of funny. But <laughs> You know, everything everything's get, funny get it in, together. in hindsight well most things yeah. maybe not everything but. sort sort it out yeah. but i feel like you're so much wilder as a young like i've talked about this with a few people on the podcast being like as a young lad when you're like that younger age until you're about like 25 or so you're just kind of mental you're oh just you like, for sure just all the testosterone you're just running around doing dumb stuff yeah it takes you kind of like i'd say it's probably it's probably it's a mixture i'd say probably i think it's probably a mixture of of, I guess, as you say, testosterone being being sort of juvenile as well, and sort of being in that kind of phase of your life. I mean, obviously, when you're when you're really young, you're wild because you're you don't know any better. You're, you're 
adolescent. Yeah. But then it's, it's like what you're saying in your sort of early 20s. I'd say that the maddest years I probably ever had were probably, I was actually quite calm from from about 16 till I was about 21, 22. The reason for that was because I, I got into a very long-term relationship when I was younger in my teenage years. And that kind of kept me out of trouble. But then when that sort of ended, when I was like mm-hmm. 21, 22, I think yeah. I think of anything I try to make up for the lost years that I didn't go as nuts for, and I went particularly nuts <laughs> yeah. until probably up until about last year. I think I, I sort of calmed it down a bit. Uh, but yeah, sort of, I think you're in that at that point. You're kind of in that that phase where you're you're kind of in between. Like you are an adult, you're a fully grown adult, but you've not mm-hmm. you've not quite adapted to the fact you're a fully grown adult yet because you're like 22, 23. Yeah. So you're still you've got one leg in adulthood, one leg sort of in adolescence. And you just don't, exactly. you don't know, you don't know what, what to be at and you just, which yeah. way you're going. And yeah, I think as well with college and stuff like that, where like, you're kind of like, you're meant to be an adult. You're not really an adult. You're kind of like <laughs> half and half. And you know, you have to go to college for like six hours a week or something. And yeah. it's, it's just kind of ends up as a bit of a piss take. Yeah. For but, sure. um, yeah. Um, what else was I going to ask you about? Eh? Hmm. And do you think, yeah, with DJ culture, I suppose what we're talking about, sessioning and DJ culture, um, like, is it, do you think it's possible to be involved in the music scene without sessioning? Um, I mean, it's, it's definitely possible. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there are, there, there are, there are people out there, especially maybe people who've been in there for longer as well, who maybe went through yeah. their, their earlier days, you know, people who are playing live and stuff that maybe kind of got more jaded by it and they've sort of been there, done that when it comes to all that kind yeah. of stuff. I'm, I'm sure for them. Especially if they be the people who've been doing it for decades, there's there's no way they could keep up, you know, being on it every every night yeah. of the week. So yeah, it's definitely possible, but whether or not it would be easy. I mean, for me, in terms of you know, I, I only really produce um, at yeah. this point. I don't, don't really do anything live anyway. So mm-hmm. for me, there's 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 not so much of an incentive to sesh in relation to the music. But I do know if I was playing gates and stuff like that, I would. You know, the temptation is going to be there to, to to drink every night. You know, you're, you're yeah. playing. So it would definitely be hard hard not to. I'd say probably very few people avoid it entirely, but yeah, I'd yeah. say that after a while, that's people probably you could get, bored get of used it. to it and just yeah. treat it as an actual job. I exactly. Whereas when it's kind of, I suppose when it's kind of new, if you're if, if you were just sort of taken off in that kind of way, and suddenly you don't have to work anymore, your weird work is just going out now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. What, what are you going to do? Know. You know? It's gonna it be does kind of ruin session. the magic of it a bit, I suppose. Yeah. If you're like, this is my job now, so I can't be running around. Yeah. drinking loads of beers while doing it yeah um, for sure and what do you think will happen in belfast with the music scene post pandemic do you think it's just gonna I turn think, up to 100 yeah i, I actually I actually quite worry <laughs> for what's gonna happen <laughs> to be honest because yep. you have all these people not only not only not, not so much for myself but you know for for people who are maybe a couple of years younger who are sorry and still in that mad stage we were talking about in their their 20s uh those yeah. people cannot they've not been able to have a night out they've not had a rave in, in a, over like a year and a half or a year and a bit now so those people are going to go absolutely nuts uh yeah and uh, do you know who, who i worry about even more is the people who would have sort of been having their first kind of legal nights out last year the people who were like 17 turning 18 yeah who've sort of had this whole sort of like buffer year where they haven't really been able to do anything like that and they're going to finally get to, to go out legally with their id and you know go to go to a rave go to shine or whatever and you know, especially it's people be that age who are not used to the sesh as much, who maybe don't have the tolerance for the, <laughs> yeah. whatever it is they're going to be doing, who are going to go, they went overboard anyway and probably landed themselves in hospital regardless of COVID. I'd say there's going to be a, a spike in hospitalizations. Yeah, yeah. it's going to yeah. be like a zoo, I think. <laughs> it's going to be, man. So part, part of me worries for that reason, but part of me is also kind of intrigued just to see how mad it is going to go. You know, it'll be, uh, it'll be interesting anyway, whatever happens. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm excited to observe it from a distance and hopefully not. <laughs> observe it from be... a quiet distance with a, with yeah. a in the corner. Just, <laughs> just like looking at the garden like, all right, that's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> Get them out of here. <laughs> they've, they've had their fun. I don't Shut it down. <laughs> so, yeah, that's it. Cancel the whole thing. We're going back to lockdown. Um, yeah. And when, do you know when it actually is supposed to open again? Um, I, I haven't heard. I think we're getting, we're, we're going to be getting an announcement. Um, I can't remember the date, but someone was telling me it's going to be, I think maybe next week we're, we're going to get an update on it. So, um, so I think anyway, beer gardens and stuff like that are going to be opening up, which is good because, you know, that's, yeah. especially this time of year, you know, that's what you want to be able to sit in the sun, have a few pints, nothing too mental. For sure. In terms of when dance floors are going to reopen again, I, I really don't know. I'm even skeptical about this ABA happening in September, to be honest, because you don't know what's going to happen when they do start reopening a bit. If they're, I mean, I suppose with the vaccines and stuff like that, it's not going to be a case that we're going to have another huge wave again, thankfully. But whether or not they're they're going to give the go ahead to have 4,000 people in a, in a dark room or over a few dark rooms up in the old B&Q is another yeah. thing, you know? A hundred percent. Yeah. It seems like because it's such a hard thing to regulate really of people, which is the great thing about it really is yeah. that everybody is kind of cutting loose and you're dancing and doing whatever. Uh, but that's kind of, that's I mean, a a danger, pub, at yeah. least people are sitting down, you can keep an eye on them. Yeah. There's, there's no way to there's no way to get thousands of people in a room to you know, what you do walk around <laughs> being like everyone try and keep you know at least a meter's distance Quiet. between you like yeah no no worries man we'll do there's it. gonna be like rave supervisors like, hey, <laughs> sit down yeah I mean you know, bouncers can't really can't really control what people are doing at those kind of events yeah. on that scope at the best of times you know yeah that's the truth so I, I I can't really see them happening for a while unfortunately which is quite sad so another reason I'm skeptical about buying this ticket is like you know is it even gonna happen yeah yeah and then will you get refunded or will it be a big massive ordeal exactly but um yeah so i was gonna ask just a couple of questions i suppose i, li- I like to ask these questions kind yeah. of at the end because you get interesting answers and oh. they're just kind of about kind of about personal stuff more like what you know what it is that your experience can give to other people okay who might be going through similar stuff um when was the time that you thought you wouldn't make it and what got you through? Um, in terms of, of music, uh, I don't know. It's kind of one of those things. It's kind of always something. Well, it's not something. It can that, be in music or in your life or um, just a time you thought you weren't going to make it. Oh, and in, in life in general. In um, anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's, I mean, there's, there's been a few times last, last year, particularly, you know, I had some, uh, some pretty, pretty extreme sort of relationship issues, um, which were extremely, extremely trying, very stressful, uh, which led to a whole, whole bunch of issues. But um, I guess what what kind of got me through in them kind of situations? Just I don't know, having positive people around you. I know it seems like a, like an obvious cliche answer, but there is there is something to be said for, for just surrounding yourself mm-hmm. with positive people. I mean, at that, at that point, I was living, I was in a house share, but it was with people I didn't know. So whenever you know things sort of went tits up with that, and it was arguments, fighting, and whatever. I'd be sort of going home to, to sit by myself in a room and, and bounce off the walls about it. Whereas now I'm living with, uh, I mean, I moved in with a, with a, with a good friend of mine and uh, yep. he was, you know, a few other people he knew living there who I'm all great friends with these people now. So it's, it's just, I guess having, having someone, having someone to just sort of, not even necessarily someone to talk to, just someone to kind of take your mind off and someone to have a laugh mm-hmm. with gives yep. you kind of the, the kind of inspiration to kind of go on and you kind of realize that not everything is necessarily, um, dependent or hinged on whatever it is that's that's stressing you or fixating you in that moment and there is more to life than even even if what you're going through seems like it's 
it's you know it's insurmountable in terms of you know mm-hmm. how, how stressful it is and how you're, you're yeah. never going to feel okay and this is never going to be fine and everything's yeah. ruined mm-hmm. you get a better perspective i think whenever you whenever you sort of sort of hang around new people and positive people who've got their own things going on in life and you're like you know what it's life's bigger than you know whatever whatever it may be yeah for sure people that can put it in perspective for exactly. you and kind of get you yeah it's hard when you're very emotional about something and it's kind of feels like it's the end of the world oh for sure you kind of you kind of become blind to everything else because you think this is yeah, the beyond end all this is all i care about you know but it's you know a, a mixture i guess time just sort of hanging in there if you can yeah. and, and people that don't make it worse and don't exactly. add fuel to the fire exactly. or you know talk about their own problems and you know try and brush yours you, under the, under the call carpet. you a wiener or whatever yeah, else but yeah. <laughs> and if you could go back in time to 12 year old callum when he's got that bottle of book fast in his hand what advice would you give him about uh life what to, what, to watch his mouth a bit more <laughs> yeah and mouth's got me into a lot a lot of trouble over the years <laughs> so maybe not, not to be so cocky and sure of himself and uh, mm-hmm. know, just watch his mouth a bit maybe. watch your mouth <laughs> that's a good one man i also have a similar problem <laughs> which is i always say sick. um sorry I, I always say if i could go back a couple of years uh, to, to even you know 24 year old Colin, i'd probably punch him in the face which is probably a, <laughs> it's probably a good thing because i guess i guess if, you, if you're always looking back on yourself a couple of years ago and being like what the fuck was that all about i guess that kind of shows your at least from my own perspective moving in the right direction now, i could be moving in the wrong direction and just yeah maybe 24 year old Colin had it right but i'm pretty sure i'm i'm more mature now in terms, at least in terms of my outlook that makes sense i'd probably do a similar thing of go back and kick myself in the ass and be like hey yeah take it seriously all right yeah. quit jiving around but it's good because i mean if, if you were sitting there you know years down the line being like oh i wouldn't i wouldn't say anything to myself i'd just be like good yeah. man it's like well how, how, have you really grown as a person if, if you have not no wisdom you could pass to your yourself a few years ago like what <laughs> yeah. more have you been doing this whole time you know <laughs> that's it it's a bit of a virtue to be embarrassed of yeah, yourself it is it's shows, mortifying yeah. but it's also it's also a sign that you're hopefully yeah. on the right path some extent 100% and I, I totally agree with you there and what's next for you what what's next to music what do you think um well actually I just I actually just finished off an EP last night I was up very Savage. very very late there and I was up at like mm-hmm. four in the morning which didn't, nice. didn't go well when I signed into work this morning but <laughs> yeah but um <laughs> but uh yeah, <laughs> yeah I uh yeah I finished off so one of the tracks is um it's a bit different to the stuff I've kind of been making well I suppose the last EP the burn it down burn it all down EP I released um a few months ago it's sort of more in keeping with that kind of sound where it's a bit faster paced a bit more um mm-hmm. a bit harder kind of more uh, kind of i would almost say trancey inspired but obviously with more sort of yeah. hip-hop sort of beats and stuff like that is one of the tracks is like that it's probably harder than anything i've made under phenomenology so far and then there's uh, another track on it uh which is kind of the, the, the polar opposite it's kind of one of the more most i'd say chilled out relaxing ones i've made so it's kind of it's kind of the sort of um it, it's going to be the um the contrast between the two tracks i guess so i'm still trying to think of a name for that but uh i'm pretty sure i'll, I'll probably have a label to release on i, I got on well with a guy who's uh who's sort of um, runs the label i released my last last sort of thing on so I, I don't have to worry about you know the whole submission process waiting for them to get back to you i'll just be a case of sending that over to him hoping, yeah. he likes it which yeah is- and where can people find that i mean they follow you on instagram at phenomenology music yeah. soundcloud soundcloud um so- soundcloud uh for, for the stuff that kind of doesn't go on the stores the, the free release stuff um yeah. um spotify uh, all the sort of label release stuff will be on there uh if, if you search phenomenology 
music or anything like that. Um, YouTube, a lot of uh, sort of random channels and stuff like that will we'll upload to tracks as well, uh, like promo channels. So yeah, just kind of YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, search phenomenology. Sick. And I encourage people to check it out. They're banging tunes, man. Sure, and even Callum C, good, man. man. I was, I, honestly, I was enjoying those uh, saucy dance tunes. Some, <laughs> I appreciate some that, man. Stuff. Do you know what? I was going to say to you earlier on, actually. The, do you remember the, the music video you were saying of mine earlier on? Yeah. That, that caused a, a massive, massive argument with an ex-girlfriend at the time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because she, of she, the... Well, she thought I'd went out of my way to get... You know, basically a soft porn music video made but it was it <laughs> yeah. was just kind of sent to me one day like hey Callum here's your music video the label just sent it to me and she she went yep shit and said she was she went what the hell I'm moving on <laughs> <laughs> man that's show business yeah, that's that's it. It. and then and then to make things worse uh, I released another track with them like a month or two later and they made me another video just like that I didn't get as many views I think yeah. that that video you seen I think I actually got like 200,000 views now that's on Facebook so it's not the same as on YouTube it's, yeah. it shows up in people's timelines so it's a lot easier like, to get views but I think the second one didn't get as many views so it might be as much harder to come by than that one but yeah she, mm-hmm. she went double nuts at that <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll have to look into these but um, <laughs> yeah I appreciate you making time to talk to me yeah, it's been no, an absolute no pleasure and we'll time. do it again sometime brother yeah man 100% man good, good chat to you and sure hopefully whenever whenever we can we'll, we'll grab a pint in the beer garden for sure yes absolutely Thompson's baby <laughs> Thompson's it is <laughs> <laughs> boat <laughs> Got a lot more exciting interviews coming up now in the next few weeks. Um, and if you're enjoying the podcast, if you like what we're doing, if you want to become a supporter, you can become a supporter for as little as one quid a month, two quid, three quid, four quid, 900 quid. If you want to donate jewels, maybe like your grandparents' old watch or like an expensive painting, we'll accept anything. I'll accept blank checks. I'll accept made out checks. I'll accept bricks of hash the size of a child's head. Whatever it is that you have lying around the gaff, you should give it to us so that we can make more sweet podcasts with it and keep saying it like it is. There's a link in the description to the Buy Us A Coffee page, leave a donation, or just follow along on Spotify. Join my mailing list on the website. You know, take your pants off, run around. I don't care. However you want to support us, that's good enough for me, all right? And if you know anybody that does a good haircut, send them on to me. Appreciate it. Boom. Thank you.